Welcome back to another edition of the PegCast. I'm your host, Michael Pagani, joined alongside Wes Gilbertson of the Calgary Sun. He covers the Calgary Flames. Wes, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How about you? Well, you know, I'm doing great, thanks. I, I've been watching a lot of uh, the Euros on top of the crazy action going on around the NHL. I'm not sure if you've been watching the same. You know, I haven't caught a ton of the Euros, uh, but I look forward to kind of watching it as we go down the stretch. It Once we get into, uh, you know, the kind of play in or, or not play in the playoff round, uh, probably get uh, a little more into it. But I'd, I'd be lying to you if I told you I'd watched much of it yet. And have you, has your attention been to- uh, turned towards more the NHL playoff action then? Yeah, I mean, covering the league all season long, I certainly uh, pay attention when it gets down to the, the nitty-gritty like this. So it's been, uh, it's been a fascinating playoffs. Um, you know, I'm one of those guys who kind of can't stop watching usually in like the first round when there's three games a night or whatever. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just kind of follow it through. It's been, uh, you know, some unexpected, uh, storylines, obviously. I don't think anyone saw the Montreal Canadiens being where they are, let alone, uh, you know, now being up in that series. So it's been fun. It's been fun to watch. We did just finish a season like any other without fans in Canada, uh, for the whole regular season, as we see Quebec expanded their capacity for the Montreal Canadiens to have fans, how did you enjoy this season without fans or, you know, did you not enjoy it? I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy it, but it's just not the same. And I think, you know, anyone would answer the question the same way. Like I, I'm fortunate enough that I was one of the ones inside the arena this season. And, uh, you know, certainly feel pretty lucky to have been there, but uh, when there's a big goal or a, a big hit or a big penalty kill or all these moments, that can turn the momentum and crank the volume in the building. Like it, it's just not, sorry here. I just, uh, yeah, it's just not, it's just not the same. So, um, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I just had a, a call coming in. I'm not sure if it No worries. No, I got, screen. I got your full answer. Okay. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So it, it's just not, it's just not the same at all. You know, I, I think we're all looking forward even, you know, as, as you started watching the playoffs and, and you saw, you know, these full buildings or these half full buildings, you know, and the amount of noise that gets generated and the way that the the game kind of feeds off that crowd noise, it, it just, it makes such a huge difference that, uh, you know, good on the NHL for playing this season. I think it entertained a lot of people. Um, you know, I think that they addressed a lot of the the safety concerns um, quite well and, and invested a lot of money to make sure everyone stayed safe, but uh, it's not the same in empty or even half empty buildings. So I think we're all excited to get back to that. Did your game day routine change at all, given that it was just the media going to the arenas and not seeing fans in the stands each game? Well, it changed in the sense that, you know, we used to go to morning skate and then go into the locker room and talk to the players and, with everything done by zoom um that certainly that certainly changed the routine a lot or or changed how we do our jobs i I, you know the actual game part of it didn't change a ton again no locker room access after so you're waiting for a player to hop on a zoom call but um and then you know for the most part the last nine seasons uh you know i've done a ton of travel with the flames and 
So the game day routine changes a lot, obviously, when you're not on the road and the team is. You can't watch morning skate. Uh, you're watching the game, you know, on your TV. And so that, that I guess, is probably the biggest difference for me. Getting into your story a bit here, who influenced you to get into sports reporting? Uh, I wouldn't say it was a specific person. You know, I, I was a newspaper delivery boy as a kid. Uh, you know, I've always been a sports junkie. You know, I, when other kids were watching cartoons, I was watching baseball games or hockey games. So, um, that, so I don't think, you know, I don't have like a reporter who I wanted to be when I grew up or anything like that but uh you know always kind of fascinated by that side of the the industry and it just seemed like a like a good fit for me one aspect that is very key for uh, sports reporting especially is building that close relationship with the player in your opinion how important is that aspect i think it's probably what separates the people who are okay at, at what they do in our business and the people who are good at what they do. I mean, the, it's sort of like asking someone a question in a grocery store. If you have no rapport with that person, then you're just going to get a very basic answer. Whereas if you're asking, you know, a friend that question, um, you get a, a much more insightful answer. They're, they're willing maybe to tell you something that they they wouldn't just tell a, a stranger. And so, you know, maybe that's a bad example because I'm not saying that I'm, I'm friends with all the players that I cover, but when you, when you have that relationship that they know you, you know, they've seen me at the saddle room, they've seen me at all these other arenas on the road. Uh, you hope that uh, they, I guess, just respect the way you go about your business and, and then you're going to get more, you know, you're going to get more detail out of them. They're going to be willing to chat with you. They might be willing to share a story about their, their family or whatever, because they, they have that trust in you. And so I think, you know, it's what makes it hard for people who, who are trying to cover teams without having access to the locker room or being at the, the rink every day. Like you just, it's such a huge component of what we do. And, and the second part of, of it then being kind of knowing what to ask or, or knowing how to phrase a question to maybe get a little bit below the surface. I think, you know, there's lots of people who are, are really good at, you know, writing stuff down and, you know, putting their thoughts on the page or analyzing a game some way. But I, I really do think that that's kind of one of the, the differentiators in, in my business anyways. Do you believe that Zoom calls will be a part of the future for sports reporting? Because with Zoom calls, it's hard. It's more, yeah, it's more difficult to build that close relationship with the player. Yeah, I certainly hope not. Um, you know, Zoom has served a purpose. Uh, but I, I do believe that, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations in a locker room or even in a scrum setting is the you know, the way that works best for the media. And I think quite frankly, it works better for uh, the people being interviewed too. You know, it's, it's not as time consuming. You don't have the technical glitches that you have. So I think you'll maybe see some, like, I wouldn't be surprised if you see some media conferences via zoom, you know, if a team, you know, signs a new player instead of that player having to phone, 
10 different reporters for an interview that they might use zoom because everyone's so familiar with that technology. So, you know, the flames have just signed a free agent on Canada day and that player's at his cottage in Muskoka and he jumps on a zoom call. You know, I, I could see that. So I think there is a, a future for it a little bit, but um, I certainly hope it's not a day to day part of our lives. Once we're, once we're kind of in the back to normal phase. Do you remember your last locker room scrum? No, probably not. I mean, because there was nothing, uh, just the way this kind of crept uh, crept up, I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say there was anything like, oh, this is going to be the last day we're in here. Um, I do remember as, as kind of fears spread about, uh, what was going on in the world, the NHL asked for basically more space between the players and the media. So I do remember one day, because I, I remember Travis Hamnick coming in to speak to the media and he stood at like a podium and we were in kind of a press conference room. But, um, you know, like I was on a road trip. I can't remember how many games, like four or five games um, finished in Florida. Um, you know, it was it was just like normal. And, and a week later, the NHL shut down, and, and and quite frankly, everything had changed as far as as our generation knows it, or uh, had both temporarily and in a lot of ways probably permanently changed. So, um, yeah, I have no idea. That last day I was in the locker room, I couldn't tell you who I talked to, what I talked about. You know, the Flames I think had three or four days off before they were supposed to play the Islanders on the night that everything got paused. But um, yeah, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't tell you much about it to be honest. Well, this past off season, uh, you know, the flames made big moves acquiring, uh, you know, Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev from both uh, the Vancouver Canucks there at the time, you know, did you have any expectations or what were your expectations on the Calgary flames? I mean, I think the additions, combined with you know the lack of subtractions and 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 I think one thing that everyone probably underestimated was how big of a loss TJ Brody was um so when I say loss of subtractions I I just thought that I thought that their defense had kind of filled that hole and and maybe uh, maybe a bunch of us were wrong about that part um and then if you look at the way they played in the bubble and the fact that they were you know, a mini meltdown away from taking a stranglehold in a series against the Dallas Stars. And, uh, and you know, then that falls apart. And so, yeah, I, I think it was realistic to think that they should be a challenger in the North Division. I, I think on paper, the Toronto Maple Leafs had separated themselves talent-wise. Um, but I, I thought beyond that, I didn't, I didn't think it was crazy to expect the Flames to be in the mix, you know, for second, even for first in the division. And, you know, I, I think the one thing about the North division this year is every team had a lot of warts. It was easy to look and say, well, you know, the Winnipeg Jets are pretty good, but, but what about this? The Vancouver Canucks could be pretty good, but what about this? The Edmonton Oilers have two of the best players in the world, but you know, what about all these reasons? And so, um, yeah, I, I thought the very worst case scenario for the Flames was that they would be in a fight for a playoff spot right until the end and not get in. 
but to be kind of out of it with, uh, you know, a few weeks left in the season was, was a worse, a worse, worst case scenario than I could have imagined. Do you think that Jacob Markstrom's contract could potentially become a problem with Dustin Wolf's play in the WHL and just basically setting records with his team there? No, I don't think so. I, I think the one thing about signing a goalie last offseason is you got him at a really good uh, AAV. I mean, $6 million a year for a uh, goaltender of Jacob Markstrom's you know, class, stature, however you want to put it. You know, he's in the upper echelon of guys in the league, and I, I would never hesitate to pay an upper echelon guy that amount of money because of a, a kid who was on the way. And the thing, Dustin Wolf's an awesome kid. I love chatting with him. Um, you know, he's, he's competitive even on a phone call, which I, I think is such a great trait. Like, the fire just burns in him all the time. But, you know, he's... He's listed in the dub at six feet. And so he was, you know, standing on his skates when they measured him because he's not six feet tall. And and there's not a lot of, you know, sub six foot goalies. You know, we saw uh, what Saros did for the Nashville Predators. And, and I think that is kind of the roadmap for, uh, for Dustin Wolf. You know, the other kind of good example, and I, I won't even try to pronounce his last name but uh ned in carolina you know is is six foot and and so there are guys like dustin wolf who are you know athletic and competitive and technically sound and read the game well they can have success in the nhl but when you're five foot 11 it's going to be a question mark as a goalie so if you can get a six foot six goalie who's already established for that annual value um, you know, the problem you'd love to have is Dustin Wolf is so good in three years that you say, we got to make him our starter. What do we do now? Um, but I don't think, I don't think you necessarily worry about that. Like you mentioned, the Flames, you know, finished fifth in the North Division this year. And it was actually a tight race between them and Montreal, which ultimately came down to games in hand uh, during that stretch. From a reporting standpoint, how fun was it to cover, you know, two teams basically going hand in hand for that last spot in the North Division? Well, I think it just never really turned into that because of the games in hand. And so, you know, there there was basically a couple of days where the Flames had won a couple of games head to head against Montreal, needed basically to sweep a, a three game mini series against them. Uh, got two out of three, but with the games in hand, you know, they finished four points back. Um, they got six points out of those four meaningless games against the Vancouver Canucks that people wondered if they would even play at the end of the season. So, so really when the season ended, they were 10 points back. And, and so um, it just never really seemed like it was close. Like it just never, I've covered some, you know, playoff races that have come right down to the wire. You know, this team, you know, needs to win or needs to, they need this team to lose or whatever in the final three games of the season. And those are a blast, but this, this just never was that for me. It never, it never really felt that close. And then, you know, the Canadians would lose a couple and the Flames would win a couple. It'd be maybe close for a night. And then suddenly the gap would be big enough again that Montreal had that breathing room. So I, yeah, just it just never really got there for me, to be honest. 
Speaking on that point you brought up about the meaningless games, a lot of people were criticizing the NHL for allowing the Vancouver Canucks uh, to come back and, you know, resume play after their COVID bout with uh, a variant. Do you, did you agree with the NHL's decision at the time or, or are you still criticizing them of what happened? No, I, I don't criticize it. I mean, I don't think, you know, no team would wish to go through what the Vancouver Canucks went through. And, you know, for those players and, and their families, uh, it sounds like, you know, from everything I've heard of, it was a very scary um, few weeks. Um, and yet, uh, you know, the NHL got got to, you know, got to 56 games with every one of their teams and, and they lengthened the schedule by a week and a half or, or whatever the final tally was for the Vancouver Canucks to get theirs in. Um, you know, there's a lot at play there, right? There's a lot of people who would have presumably been owed money if those games didn't get played. I mean, TV deals and, you know, board sponsors and helmet sponsors and, like everything radio deal, like this is all based on a number of games played. And so I'm not saying that the economics should ever override the, the human element of it, but, but I, I guess, you know, that situation to me was pushed to that edge. But I, I think in, in the end, I was comfortable with what ended up happening. Um, You know, if I was someone in Vancouver, maybe I would disagree um, certainly they felt the rigors of it a lot more than any of us could even imagine. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wasn't openly critical at, at the time of the NHL. And, and I still don't think I would be of the way that that was handled. During the season, uh, you know, down the stretch, the flames fired Jeff Ward and hired Daryl Sutter. Did you think that was the right move? I, I think, a coaching change in the middle of a season is really difficult at the best of times. And then a coaching change in the middle of a 56 game season. Um, that's really tough. And so was it the right move to get the team into the playoffs this year? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Now, is it the right move for the future of the Calgary Flames? I, I think that remains to be seen. Daryl Sutter, uh, you know, his style is, is well-documented. Um, there's been a long line of coaches come through Calgary, you know, Brad Schlevin as general manager is on his fifth head coach now, which is, which is pretty close to unheard of, uh, in terms of the lifespan of a general manager. And, and yet they haven't had a coach with the pedigree of, uh, Daryl Sutter. You know, he's, he's won, uh, two Stanley cups, you know, as we're reminded every time there's a game seven, on TV, he's won more game sevens as a head coach than anyone in NHL history. So, you know, this is a guy who's, who has literally been there and done that and won that. And there's value uh, that comes with that. Um, I think in terms of changing the culture, uh, which is something we throw around a lot. And, and I don't think anyone really knows the quote unquote culture of a team, but in terms of, you know, that tone setting, um, you know, just kind of, I, I guess, sparking a turnaround for the franchise. He's the kind of guy that they haven't had. You know, they haven't had a guy with that much success or that much experience or who can probably be that much of a hard ass. So, you know, this this is new for the Calgary Flames. And so, 
you know, was it the right move on March the 4th? I can't remember exactly which. I think it was March the 4th. Uh, in terms of getting into the playoffs, I'm not sure. Um, certainly the results would tell you that it, it didn't help them get in the playoffs. But, you know, are those extra 30-some games of experience under Daryl Sutter, the chance for him to lead the exit interviews, uh, to have his say on, on who can be part of a winning team moving forward? that could really prove invaluable for this franchise. And so for that reason, um, you know, if this team is growing into a contender in a couple of seasons, then it was absolutely the right move. Does it give you a fresh, a fresh breath of air uh, having a coach give quick witty answers uh, to some of the reporters questions? I don't know if it's a, a fresh breath of air. I mean, certainly with, uh, with Daryl, you never know what the response is going to be. Um, he, he certainly arrives at his post game zoom call with a, a message that he'd like to send, uh, whether it was, you know, he didn't like this penalty or, or he didn't have enough guys going or he, you know, whatever it is, you know, when he, he's not waiting for the right question, if he's got somebody who wants to get off his chest, you're going to hear it pretty quickly. Um, so, you know, he's a, he's a very interesting guy to interview. Um, but, I, you know, doesn't really change. It's not like, you know, when the Zoom call ends, I have an extra pep in my step that I didn't have under Jeff Ward, who was quite frankly one of the best people I've ever dealt with in this industry. You know, you talk about guys that you'd like to just sit down and have a beer with. Well, you know, Jeff, Jeff Ward was, you know, one of the best in that category. And sorry, I'm not saying I ever sat down for a beer with him. I'm just saying that's the kind of guy you, you'd love to hang out with and hear stories and, and pick his brain. So, you know, two totally different guys in the way they approach um, the media and the, you know, the way they, they answer questions. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that that's just part of being in the media. You know, our, our job can't change when the, the coach does. So it uh, just kind of keep uh, keep doing what we do. You know, we have a job to do as well, and it uh, doesn't really change that that part of it. We saw the emergence of Elias Lindholm, Dylan Dubé, and Andrew Mangiapane, among others, uh, just three to note there. And, you know, Dubé's in for a payday. Mangiapane yeah, has one year left on his deal. How important mm-hmm. is it for Daryl Sutter to keep that core of guys together and Bradshaw living? Well, I think the question first has to be what happens with the other core. You know, Elias Lindholm is in the the core of this team, you know, at 4.85, uh, he was their, I guess, second leading scorer. They, you know, they voted a team MVP this year. He won that award. Um, you know, he plays number one center minutes. He, you know, he's arguably the most important person on the roster. And so you have a core that includes him, Johnny Gaudreau, Sean Monaghan, um, Matthew Kachuk, obviously, uh, Mark Giordano, I would still put in that category. Jacob Markstrom, you know, so so the first question is what happens with the other core? Um, you know, I, I think the world of Andrew Mangiapane is a player like nobody works harder. Uh, I think Dylan Dubé has, you know, has a good future ahead of him and, and certainly showed glimpses of what he can be this season. But if, you know, if your core is is Dubé, Mangiapane, and Elias Lindholm, you're not going to be a great team in this league. So, You've, you need to 
supplement those guys. Like those are the kind of middle. Uh, and sorry, I'll leave Lind- Lindholm's a top line piece, but Manjapani and, and Dylan Dubois, those are the sort of middle six pieces you'd find on championship teams. Those are the kind of guys who can who can be second and third line players on really good teams. Um, but the the core needs more first line players. You know, the core is going to need a stud defenseman when Mark Giordano is too old to be the stud defenseman. Uh, the core needs Jacob Markstrom to play like he was signed to play. And, and so that to me is a bigger question. Is that, is Andrew Mangiapane about to get paid, you know, world championship MVP just scored a career high and uh, both goals and points in a shortened season. Absolutely. You know, is, is Dylan Dubé going to get a nice raise on his next contract? He should, as long as he's consistently using his speed and tenacity, um, he can be a really effective player in this league. So, so those guys are nice pieces, um, but the the questions are are higher on the the pay grade right now. Just speaking about uh, Andrew Mangiapane's worlds, uh, like you mentioned there, do you find it incredible that not only was it after the season, but he also had to quarantine and he was still named MVP for Team Canada? Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty impressive, right? You miss three games, you tie for the lead in in goals, you score. Uh, sorry, the tournament lead in, in goals. You score the overtime winner in the quarters. You score twice in the semis. Um, yeah, it, it, what what more could you ask for? And, and it'll be really good for him going forward. You know, there's a a chance that he was in a top line role on a you know a watered down team Canada at a watered down tournament. But uh, you know, the gold medal, they you know they don't put those asterisks on the gold medal. So you know, for him not only to come home with one of those, but to, to come home with the MVP trophy and really just to, like, there, it doesn't matter if we're talking NHL or Worlds or, you know, the Quebec Peewee tournament. You, you learn something about players when, like, hey, we need a goal now. Who's going to go get it? Well, the fact that Andrew Mangiapane was that guy, you know, on that stage, that that's just such good news for the Calgary Flames. So they need him to be that in the NHL, and he, he's getting close to being that. Um, you know, in those three must-win games against the Canadians that they didn't win the third one, those first two games, he was the Flames' best player. You know, and, and you learn a lot about guys in that scenario. So, um, you know, this guy has a very bright future. Um Maybe he could be a first liner in the NHL. You know, I, I think you kind of base everything on, well, we want to be a championship team. Well, okay, then Andrew Mangiapane is probably a second liner on a championship team. But I think he can be that, and that's still a hell of a compliment. Did the schedule for the NHL this season, you know, going up against really you're only, uh, you know, only in the division, did that get repetitive for you after a few months? Yeah, very, very. Yeah, it's... Uh, Let's get back to, to playing all the teams and, and seeing all the star players again. You know, the NHL did a heck of a job this season uh, keeping everyone safe. But, uh, you know, when you're playing the Winnipeg Jets for the third time in, in four days, and I kind of like the back-to-backs, you know, like I, I wouldn't hate to see. makes a lot of sense for travel reasons, um, you know, for the teams. You know, it, could the Calgary Flames go into Pittsburgh and play the Penguins twice in three days? Sure. You know, does that make more sense than them playing, you know, the Penguins on Thursday and the Philadelphia Flyers on Saturday? You know, very well could. Um, 
but this like three and four against the same opponent, you might play them again, you know, the next week. Repetitive is a really good word for it and, and not to complain about it, but we all thought, oh, this, you know, this North division is going to be so awesome, right? Well, was there one game, you know, like, so we go back to just before the pandemic, you know, Matthew Kachuk and Zach Cassian had, you know, started or restarted their feud. Um, you know, then we're looking at, you know, Cam Talbot, and Mike Smith, you know, fighting at center ice, like that game, that next game after Kachuk and Cassian, um, it was like everyone in the hockey world was watching. Everyone wanted to see that next game and see what happened. Right. And I think we kind of thought that was going to happen a whole bunch in the North division. And, and was there one game this season that you marked on your calendar as a, you know, two, two nights earlier or something to happen. And you said, I have to watch this game. Like I, maybe I'm missing one in my head, but I honestly don't know that there was. You know, there there were nights when we talked about how boring a McDavid Matthews matchup had been. And that that shouldn't be happening, you know, and, and that's not a knock on the the players who are just trying to, you know, march through the grind of this fifty-six games in hundred and fourteen nights or whatever it was. But but in terms of delivering that excitement that we all thought, I, I just don't think I, I think the repetition took away from that. And I also think, to add on to your points, I think that a lot of different teams, right, they like to use other teams as measuring stick games, where really the only team you could do that against was Toronto, because they kind of ran away with the division in the regular season. If you wanted to play Boston, well, you couldn't really do that this year. Yeah, it's what makes the conference finals so interesting, if, you know, if we're calling them the, con- the conference finals, the league semifinals. And, and, you know, the fact, like, I think, I think the best hockey potentially we're going to see this season is that Vegas, Colorado series. Um, and, and I could be wrong. I'd love for the best hockey we see this season to be the Stanley cup final. It'll certainly be the most intense, but um, it, you look at that and it's like, okay, well, how's Montreal going to compete with this? And yet here we are talking, you know, on a Saturday morning or afternoon and Montreal's up two one. And, and so, you know, maybe that changes the way we think about the North Division this season, or or maybe maybe you look at the shots on goal last night and go, yeah, Montreal's been in way over their head, and and the North really was a crummy division, and and, and if we as fans and media are trying to figure out, well, what teams are any good and what divisions, well, the you know the teams and the players have been trying to do the same themselves all season. It's what makes the job, you know, for Brad Living really fascinating this off season is you know, your team underachieved, you've got a fan base that's ready for some significant changes. And yet you're going into a really junky Pacific division next year, right? You've got the Vegas Golden Knights, which by then could be the defending Stanley Cup champions. And and what they've done in their four seasons in the league is incredible. You've got the two best players, um, not the two best players in the world, but two of the top seven or whatever in Edmonton, you ha- you have the best player in the world. And then wherever you want to put dry sidle and it's not very far down the list. So, so you have two really good teams there. And hey, then you've a, got, sorry. sorry. Yeah. And then you've got Calgary who underachieved. You've got the California teams who all uh, are in the stages of a rebuild. You have an expansion team in Seattle and then you've got Vancouver who's got a bunch of money tied up in a bunch of veterans has to figure out how to pay these kids um 
you know, and seem to be kind of wandering in their own way right now. So, you know, if you're Brad Living, you'd love to be able to say, well, here's where we think we fit in next year in the Pacific Division. But how do you do that when you haven't played the San Jose Sharks in, you know, almost two years? Yeah, it's crazy. It's really difficult. Yeah, it's really difficult. Well, I was just going to add on saying like, you know, the Seattle Kraken new team and, you know, like we saw with the Vegas Golden Knights at their expansion draft, I hopefully we don't see that again because that would be quite the storyline. But yeah, like, we, we, you know, we don't know how well Calgary is going to play if they're going up against San Jose, you know, the California teams, which they haven't seen in over two years. It's it's very crazy to wrap your mind about around just like, okay, now we're getting back to the normal divisions and really we don't know how well these teams stack up. Yeah, it's a it's a huge, you know, and, and if we're wondering about it, imagine being one of the guys who's, you know, making a million dollars to put a team on the ice or making several million dollars to be the roster arch- architect of a team or or whatever an NHL GM gets paid these days. I really have no clue. So, um, yeah, it fa- it'll be a fascinating season ahead. And, you know, there there's still some fascination left in this one. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But next one is going to be really fascinating as well. Speaking on the Calgary offseason that's upcoming or is now underway, I guess I should say, you know, like you mentioned with the fans, they want, you know, Bradtree Living to really make some big roster changes, which includes the likes of Sean Monaghan and Johnny Goudreau. In your opinion, what should Brad do? What is the best situation for the Calgary Flames to do with them? With those two guys specifically? Yeah. You know, I, I think when you're, when you've underachieved the way that this Flames team has, I, I, you know, to get this long list of untouchable players makes no sense. You know, I think you, I think you look at everything. And so, you know, do I see Johnny Gaudreau being on the Flames roster next season? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do personally. Um, I think it's as much about what his value might be though. Like here's a guy who's got one year left before he's a free agent. You know, you read some of these, you know, trade proposals on, on different sites or on social media. And it's like, you're not, you know, like you're not robbing the farm for a guy who's going to be a free agent in a year. You know, Sean Couturier is one of the best two-way centers in the league. Do people think that Philadelphia is going to send him to Calgary for Johnny Gaudreau? I don't think so, right? <laughs> you know, Travis Konechny, like you read all these things and it's like, oh, oh my goodness. Like, oh, and, and they're going to throw in, throw in a first-round pick or, or whatever. So, you know, Johnny Gaudreau has value after this past season. Um I think it's important for the Flames that he proved he could also be effective under Daryl Sutter. And and I personally thought those two were going to mix like oil and water. So, um, so that's good. And and then you kind of look at Sean Monaghan as well. And, you know, here's a guy who's, you know, scored 25 or 30 goals for fun every season. You know, he's one of the, uh, I believe he's the leading goal scorer from a draft class that includes Nathan McKinnon. Um, you know, that's pretty damn impressive. And yet he just put 10 in, he's coming off another hip surgery. So, you know, what's his value? What, you know, what do you, what are you hoping to, to turn him into it? And so to answer your question in a roundabout way, I, I think you gauge the market on guys. If you feel like, you know, you might not be able to build around them, but, um, for different reasons right now, whether it's contractually with Gaudreau 
or it's performance wise last season with Monaghan, uh, their value is not sky high. I mean, could you get something for Sean Monaghan? Well, of course you can get something, but he just scored 10 goals and then he had hip surgery and he's already not a great skater. And so, you know, I, I don't know that there's a team that's necessarily, you know, unloading a bunch of picks or prospects for a guy like that. And I don't know that your team is in a position for a lot of the reasons that we talked about with what the division is going to look like next year, that you just want picks and prospects. I mean, Brad Trillivan wants to keep his job here in Calgary and, and I don't think the mandate is rebuilt. So um, I'd kind of test the market on everybody. This team needs one significant change for sure, but I, I just don't know exactly who it's going to be. Calgary is drafting 12th overall this year. Uh, and, you know, to my demise, I kind of wish the draft lottery had more hype. Uh, I got to say that one after uh, the bubble last year was quite intense and I, and I enjoyed every bit of it. But anyway, um, you know, have you had time to look at any prospects this season? No, and I know that there's some some sites that do a really good job of it, um, you know, and I really lean on those um, because there's a lot of NHL hockey to watch. And, you know, as a, a guy who covers one team full-time uh, and has an awards ballot vote, uh, I try to watch a ton of NHL hockey. And so for me to sit here and say, oh, yeah, you know, I was just watching – you know, Mason McTavish play the other night, or, you know, I didn't miss a game of Brant Clark at the U18s like I, that I'd be full of, you know what? So, um, so that, that's always kind of a late undertaking for me is trying to learn some of the prospects in, in sort of the range the Flames might be picking in. Um, you know, I, I know that there's some depth, there's not a ton of high end, there's some depth in this first round. Uh, but I also know because of the scouting challenges of this past season that the the draft boards are probably, you know, really Random. different. Yeah, you know, like Flames picked 13th. I'm going to screw up the number. 13th, 16th, whatever. In 2017, you know, you do all your research. Well, who could, who, who could they get? Well, I didn't really know a whole lot about you, so Valimaki, and that's who they took. You know, they pick... 26th a couple of years later um you know did i know too much about jacob pelche no didn't happen to be on the the list of targets maybe i guessed a little bit better last year because i you know connor zari to the flames made a ton of sense you know for a lot of reasons but um who who it might be at 12 this year i i'm yeah it, it's it's hard to guess at the best of times. And I, I just haven't had a chance to see any of these kids. So it's really tough for me to say. You, we talk about, you know, trades and stuff with the flames, but you know, with the Sabres, you know, they're thinking of shopping Jack Eichel to the Western conference, especially how might mm -hmm. that impact the Calgary flames? Well, I mean, if you can pull off a trade for him, it would impact you a lot. You could, uh, add a bonafide superstar to the top of your roster. But, uh, you know, do, do they have the pieces that the Buffalo Sabres are going to be looking for uh, or, or the appetite? Like if I'm the Buffalo Sabres, you know, and, and the latest speculation I've heard is, you know, that maybe the Anaheim Ducks throw in, the, you know, the third overall pick and, and then a top flight prospect. Well, if that's what you're looking for, the Flames, the Flames can't match that. 
you know, they don't, they don't have that high pick. Um, I'm not sure they have that top flight prospect to be perfectly honest. You know, Dustin Wolf is, is still a long shot for size reasons. Maybe long shots, not fair, but he's, you know, he's not the can't miss kid. Cause he's, cause he's not a big kid, you know, Connor Zary and Jacob Pelche have, you know, some interesting potential, but are they first line guys? I'm not sure, you know, anyone's necessarily projecting that. So, um, so if I'm the Buffalo Sabres and, and Brad Living calls, I'm probably asking for Matthew Kachuk and Andrew Manjapani. Um, and that, you know, that's a big ask. Um, and yet I think, you know, the Flames would have to, if you want to, if you want a superstar, they're not very easy to get. And, you know, depending on what you think of uh, Jack Eichel's health um, issues, then maybe you, you consider it, but uh I, they don't, they're not the most logical fit to me, but you know, we, we keep saying, well, Brad Schliving's got to make a big move. Well, you know, this would be a, this would be a doozy, right? Where do you think this team can upgrade in the season or in the off season? Um, basically everywhere. I mean, they, they need to find, they they did not score a whole lot of goals despite having you know quite a few guys that I think are offensively gifted so so you need to score more you kind of pin that on your forwards um you know you need to find some stability on your blue line you know Chris Tanev and whoever he played with uh first it was Noah Hannafin and then it was Mark Giordano uh that was your best pairing this season you need one other pairing really solidified uh, and I expect that to happen easily enough with Rasmus Anderson because, you know, I really do think he's a, a stud in the making, even though he didn't have a great season this year. So, um, but you need, you know, you need more out of some guys on the blue line. And, and so maybe that's internal. Maybe you go out and sign another veteran guy. Um, and then you need a, you know, you need a backup goalie and, and you need a guy who can, who can spell off Jacob Marks from on a more regular basis and and then you need him to play better and so um yeah it's actually it sounds like such a cop-out answer but it's everywhere this team this team after you know the disappointing season it just had to be better everywhere reflecting on your career as a Flames writer or even just the past season what was so fun about covering the Calgary Flames well, the best, you know, everyone wants to cover, you know, playoff games and, and everyone, you know, I guess everyone wants to write stories that people are reading. And so, you know, it's pretty cool to have a quote unquote ticket on the nights everyone else wants to be in the building, whether that's, you know, a playoff game or or the night that Jerome McGinley's jersey was retired or um, you know, there's been a lot of cool ones along the way. I, you know, I've been really fortunate to, to be at, you know, banner raisings and, you know, clinching games or elimination games or overtime playoff games. And, you know, the this team hasn't had um, much success in, in my stint. You know, they haven't been past the second round, but, um, you know, all those kind of you know, playoff games and, and games that, you know, I always say if you're going on, you know, whatever website to find out how much tickets are and they're crazy expensive, well, you know, we're pretty lucky to be in the building those nights. As we wrap up this interview here, do you have any advice for aspiring sports writers? 
Oh, that's a good one. I mean, you know, I, I think, I think a big part of it is what we, what we kind of talked about early, you know, and the importance of asking good questions and, and developing relationships and, you know, there, I'll say two things. Uh, sorry. I'm just trying to kind of think this one through in my head. You know, there, there's a lot of platforms out there. And so, you know, get your stuff out there, you know, be proud of your work, uh, you know, and, and try to do the best work you can. And then, you know, there's lots of places for young journalists to be published uh, even, you know, whether it's online or, or maybe in smaller print publications. And I think that's really important. The other thing, you know, and the advice I always give people is like read read a couple people that you have a ton of respect for uh and if if you can and and once you get to that stage read them in the same setting that you're in and so um you know like i've covered flames games and uh, you know i'll give you a few examples whether it's eric francis uh scott crookshank or eric dehatchik you know, there's usually a couple of really, really good writers there. And so you cover the game and the next day you kind of see what you wrote and you see what they wrote. And if, if you have the respect for the competition, like I have for those guys, um, that's the best way, you know, see why they wrote a sentence different, see why they used a different quote that you didn't really think was very impactful. And you know, there'll be days that you, you think you got it right and that's great. And there's going to be days that you read theirs and go, Oh my God, you know, that's so much better than what I wrote, you know, and, and you can really learn from both of those. So um, I think, I think what, what maybe some aspiring journalists aren't doing enough of uh, is reading. And, you know, if you want to be a writer, read the people you respect, you know, there's men and women in our business who are doing incredible work and pick a couple of them. And you're going to learn a lot just from from reading their stuff. Well, I'd like to thank again, Wes Gilbertson, for joining me on today's podcast. Thank you again, Wes. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Have an awesome day.